Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now we're going to move forward to chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Aaliyah. Hey, everybody. Before we get started, I just wanted to give a shout out to Clark and Amy Jones. You guys, well done leading worship and well done serving. You don't have to clap silently. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. You know we have a team here, so... Um, uh, well done, uh, Clark and Amy, for leading your community well and uh, leading worship for our church and, and now leaving your community so well through prayer and through conversation. They're headed back to Texas, you guys, and we just want to bless them. They've just been uh, a gift to our community. So Heavenly Father, would you bless Clark and Amy and baby Wendell as they transition back to uh, the heartland, to the middle of the country, and uh, reconnect with family and old networks and all of that. Lord, you are leading them in this. And uh, we just say yes and amen to your blessing on their lives and your guidance on their move. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, awesome. Uh, so yes, my name is Evan and my wife Sandy and I have the joy of leading this church alongside just a crazy gifted team. And so if this is your first time, uh, attending whatever. Uh, welcome. Welcome to Park Hill. Uh, we're in a series called Life in the Spirit, and this is an intensified season of discovering God of the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Trinity, and what does he do? And specifically for today, here's the question. What does it look like to be the community of the Spirit in this moment? This is a unique moment. So this is the question today. What does it look like to be the spirit-driven church in a time like this? And if I could sum it up in two words, commitment and hope. Fresh commitment to God and to one another will fuel our hope in God in a way that puts his hope on display for a world in pain. Um, this is the gift we're being called to give one another and our city right now commitment to one another that leads to hope. With all that's going on right now, it's so easy to let our cynicism fuel our indifference or our division. Uh, and so let's not, the, let's not let that happen, church. Let's not let that happen. In a time of division and uncertainty, God is calling us to be his spirit-filled community of countercultural commitment, goes against the grain, and unshakable hope. 
Okay, so if you haven't noticed, our world is longing for stability right now. Uh, people are rethinking their futures. A lot of people are relocating, which can be great. Uh, we are reevaluating our lives and our investments and making new decisions. And again, that's not all bad, but the reality is there's this collective sense that we can't keep treading water like this. We need to find our footing. We need courage and stability. And then on top of this, many of us are waking up to the pain of our brothers and sisters of color and we're crying out for justice together. And as Jesus followers, we're learning what it, what it means to be righteously angry with God, not at God, but with God at injustice. And, and then to, to biblically lament. We're learning all of these things, many of us for the first time. And we're not just angry about injustice, but we're also angry that there's so much division over what to do about it, right? Like respectful dialogue just spirals so quickly into hostility. Uh, one of the most common concerns like Park Hill community leaders have communicated is uh, in the community groups, we're hearing like, how do we talk about biblical racial justice with our families and relatives? It's just everything's so like next level intense and uh, there's tension right now. And what we're all really looking for, and when I say all, I mean the whole planet, uh, we're looking for a fresh, renewed sense of hope, true hope, the kind that fuels commitment to each other and reveals the love of Jesus to a world in pain. The world is longing to see this through the church. And we see this kind of life in the very first church. Aaliyah read the passage. And so uh, we're going to look at it a, a little deeply. The Holy Spirit came upon the first Jesus followers, Pentecost. This is important. We're in a Life in the Spirit series. So that moment is key in the biblical story. And those Jesus followers, when the Holy Spirit came, they began miraculously declaring the wonders of God in foreign languages. Peter preaches the gospel. The church grows from 120 to 3,000 in one day. It's a massive move of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does. And so, so here's the driving question. How does the church respond to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit just comes. And what, is this, what does the church do in response? So what, if you remember the reading, what is the very first verb of the church community? It wasn't preaching. I mean, when the whole church is described in Acts 2.42, what's the driving verb? It wasn't, it wasn't preaching, it wasn't singing, it wasn't giving, it wasn't even eating or drinking or even praying. Although all of those are absolutely essential, don't get me wrong, they absolutely practice these things as central to the way of Jesus, but there's one word that provided the framework for all of it. And it's one word in Greek, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves. It's one word, they devoted themselves. That's commitment, okay? commitment. And so what we're talking about today and what we sense the Spirit of God, we the leaders sense the Spirit of God leading our church into is a, is a renewed uh, craving for a complete commitment to intentional relationships around the way of Jesus. Okay, everybody's again moving around and we feel detached and moving into the new, moving into the next thing God is doing will involve this kind of commitment. The Greek idea here is to hold fast, to continue in, to persevere, be busily engaged in, be devoted to 
the community, okay? And, and the result for the early church was this hope on display that turned the world upside down. Here's what happened. You probably know the story. Uh, we go to this text a ton at Park Hill Church, and we will continue to go back to this text for all of our lives. Acts 2, 42, here it is. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. And everyone's filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property, possessions, gave to anyone who had need. And here's the word again. Every day they continued. It's a different word in English, same word in the Greek. It's this driving commitment relentlessly uh, to continue together no matter what. And they broke bread and ate together, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Uh, and the Lord added daily to those uh, who were being saved. And so in a time of tremendous uncertainty for them, like Rome could have come in and squashed the church at any moment, very uncertain. The primary quality of, of that church was commitment that led to this unshakable hope that the whole city began to celebrate. The whole city was growing favorable towards this spirit-filled community. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And so here's a question, just for reflection at home, a question. And this is not a shame trip at all, but I do want to provoke a response to the spirit. Wherever you are right now, just stop and think. If I were to use one phrase to describe my whole life response to Jesus, like how I follow after Jesus. If I were to use one phrase, what would that phrase be? My faith journey, what would it be? If I were to use one phrase, well, the first church's answer to that question is a radical commitment to community. And, and I, right away, I have to say, I'm not a huge fan of the word radical. Like it just gives me flashbacks to Orange County surf culture in the 1980s and redundant Christian book titles. So um, I'm, I'm using, so you, you know, I'm using the word radical very intentionally here. Um, here's the dictionary definition of radical. Relating to or affecting the fundamental nature of something, far reaching and thorough. So this is an accurate description of the first church's commitment to one another. Thorough, their thorough commitment to one another shaped everything about the rest of their life. Um, and of course, it didn't stay perfect. Just three pages later in Acts chapter five, the church has to start dealing with lying and greed in the community. So, you know, there, it, there's always an ideal and there's always a mess as we pursue the ideal for sure. But the rest of the New Testament, the, the, the writers of the New Testament are always calling the church back to that original ideal, sacrificial, spirit-filled commitment to one another. That, and it's a commitment that fuels hope on display. So a church in pain knows where to go. It's a city on a hill, Jesus talked about. The Apostle Paul says it beautifully at the end of his letter to, to Rome. Rome was going through division, hostility, Greek and Hebrew uh, infighting in the church and wondering what constitutes a true Christian. And he writes this at the end. He says, Romans 15 verse four, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance, there's a commitment, through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And he goes on, 
He prays for them. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. Paul draws a straight line from our commitment to one another to the hope that is on display for the world. He connects those dots. And he says the same God who gives us strength to commit is is the God who enables us to glorify him with one voice, one mind. That's unity, you guys. This is the unity that, I mean, we're all longing for. We're longing for justice and peace. No justice, no peace, unity. We're all longing for like, uh, I remember, you know, uh, Michael Jackson at the Super Bowl, we are the world. And this sense, this sense of longing and fulfillment, everybody's like, oh, I can see a vision of a world that makes a choice to love well. And and what Paul is saying is our commitment to, to the community of faith is the way God has planned to put the kind of hope and unity on display that the world needs and longs for. Um, there's just so much tension around everything right now. Everything from presidential politics to the mask on your face is causing emotional reactions everywhere. Uh, People are exhausted of the same old yelling across party lines. And here's the deal, Park Hill, very practically. God is calling the church in this moment to, just a a short list, to rise above the American political divide, to prioritize the preferences of others over our own, whether whether it gatherings or wearing masks or whatever else to submit to governing authorities unless they're asking us to sin to seek justice for the oppressed to pursue church unity and to hold to the authority of scripture this is all such tense balancing all of this and it's so unique this time we're in I heard one person say it's like it's like the, the flu of 1918 and the depression of the late 20s and the civil rights movement of the 60s are all like arcing toward one weird internet age right now. Um, and how, how do you be the people of God in this moment? To navigate it, here's the deal, to navigate this moment, God has given us everything we need in the power of the spirit experienced through community a community committed to the authority of scripture. God has given us everything we need for this moment. This is a message of hope, you guys. And this is why a fresh sense of commitment is vital right now. In that same chapter to, to, to Rome, when Paul's writing to the church, he says this, uh, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Can we read that first line again? This is for you in your house, wherever you are, Summer is, maybe, maybe the plans you made for summer are changing and everything feels weird. Listen, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. This is life in the spirit, you guys. Right now, the pandemic is real. In a few years, COVID will fade into the background. And one day, every disease will be gone. Right now, racial injustice is real. 
I believe my kids' generation will see more racial justice and reconciliation than ever. And one day, every ethnicity will be fully seen and fully honored and the oppressed children of God will be vindicated by King Jesus. This is the shape of our hope. The world needs this hope and we can fuel this hope and propel it out into the world through radical, thorough commitment to community in an age of detachment and division, okay? This is the call. How are you guys? How are you doing right now? You're with me still? Cool. So every, everywhere we look, there is this widespread sense of like, what's next? What's, this ne- what's next month? What's next year? Um, how do we step into the future without knowing what it'll look like? All of that. But as children of God, we get to ask, what is God, the Holy Spirit, leading us into? He's a really good shepherd. And what's he leading us into? Whatever the future holds, God's calling us to prepare for it through commitment to community. And when I say community, it's kind of a squishy word. It's funny, two people in the last week in random conversation just said, you know, community is kind of squishy. I prefer like relationship, like intentional relationship around the way of Jesus. Um, and, and yeah, that's absolutely right. St. Augustine said this, Hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are anger and courage. Anger at the way things are and courage to see that they do not remain as they are. And by the power of the spirit, this is the shape of the community of Jesus. We're unsatisfied and righteously angry at the way Satan, the world and the flesh have all torn the fabric of God's creation. And so we work together by the power of the spirit to see justice done and to see the kingdom of Jesus come. And so, um, yeah, there's everywhere I, I look, the pastors and leaders I talk to, there's this sense everywhere that the church is in transition. It's transition time. And, and what will the new thing look like? One, one person used the metaphor of scaffolding on a building. The building itself is the beautiful church of Jesus, the people. But scaffolding is every generation. You know, the mega church of the 80s with big screens is scaffolding. That, won't, that doesn't exist everywhere and it probably won't exist forever. It definitely won't. And then you have cathedrals that are now empty and then you have different models and structures and it's all scaffold. The real, the real nugget of the church is the people. So what will my kids' generation's church look like? We Park Hill leaders have been praying a ton together about how to step into the next thing here in San Diego. God willing, Sandy and I will be in the city for three more decades, you guys, um, doing kingdom work. And Park Hill, let's make a choice as we move toward July 12th, regathering, but way beyond that, like way beyond, make a choice to devote ourselves to this thing, intentional relationships around the way of Jesus. So to wrap up, here's just three practical thoughts. Because again, there's the ideal and then there's the mess. And it's usually messy to be in community um, as we move forward. So, So three practical thoughts. Number one, committed community means growing beyond consumer culture. Committed community means growing beyond consumer culture. So consumer culture gives critical reviews while commitment believes everyone is essential and everyone has a job to do. 
So just very practically, has, have, you, you know, have you signed up to serve in an area of need? There are still areas to serve, even though we're apart right now. Email us, let us know. And, and ask the Holy Spirit, how can I be more present in my relationships? How can I be more present in my church family? How can I show up for them, not just for me? And as we safely move toward more and more gathering, uh, ask the Holy Spirit, who's missing at my table? Who's missing in our community? And then invite the missing person in, maybe an older person, younger, single, married, different interests, culture, life experience. You guys, this is the opposite of consumer comfort. This is sacrificial commitment. So number one, uh, this means growing beyond consumer culture. Number two, committed community is where the spirit changes us. Like we need to be changed to be the kind of hope-filled people that change the world. And communities where that happens, you guys. Um, I think we all know this on the surface because you become like the company you keep. Um, But at a deeper level, you know, intentional relationships around the way of Jesus, it it really exposes my dark, unself-aware, sinful tendencies. True, authentic relationships are exposing, you guys. Personal example, I... Uh, I just did a, th- we did a 360 assessment of me as a leader with the community, who's also the leadership team. We planted this church together as a community. And so we're still moving forward as a community. And uh, yeah, I don't know if you've ever done a 360 assessment. It's where your team anonymously shares to a mediator, you know, what you're doing well and what you could be growing in. And it's just the hard, raw truth. And the exposing was painful in some ways, but so good for everyone and so good for me. And it moved us forward towards unity in a way that we couldn't have done. Uh, Community exposes. And and it's not fun, honestly, uh, to live in raw authenticity all the time. But it's essential to being like Jesus. Like, in, in this day when you can just like click and unfriend people, um, it's way harder to stay devoted for transformation. But this is the way of Jesus. But listen, that exposing, that raw openness to each other, the goal isn't just to be raw. The goal is to be encouraged and to be built up and, and for people to declare your loved identity as a son or daughter of God. Uh, Because psychologically, the only way to get healing from relational wounds is through relationship. I know that sounds like a nightmare, um, but it's true. (laughs) Uh, Our deepest wounds come from relationships and our greatest healing comes from relationships as well. And so we need the family of Jesus. We need to participate in open, safe places with the family of Jesus to stumble and fall and help get back up again because community is where the spirit transforms us into Jesus's image. This is the call you guys. We really we had a uh, we had a meeting and a lot of prayer last weekend as elders and we sensed this is the the note, the one drum the spirit is calling us to to hit as we move toward the ne- the new as we move toward God's future out of transition. So third, and third and finally, this is, I've been saying it all day, but like spirit-filled community is the byproduct of commitment. So, you know, we idealize it, but we have to commit to it to realize it, understand. Um, 
Remember, Acts 2.42, the most forgotten word in the verse is the driving verb, and they devoted themselves. We ache for it, we long for it, because the breakdown, the breakdown of the, of the family in the wake of the sexual revolution of the 60s, it's left us with this sense of placelessness and insecurity and longing to belong. But part of this moment is we're also a keep your options open culture. We like to, we like to hold commitment at arm's length because we live in a world of options. We hold out. What if there's a better person, a more attractive group, or this place is kind of cool now. What if there's a better place later? I don't know all my options yet. That's like the ethos of today, where commitment is seen often as a last resort, almost, well, I only have one option, so I'll commit kind of thing. We keep as much as possible at arm's length, but the reality is we can't experience what we truly long for as family without commitment. Um, a commitment that goes against the grain of culture. So we, yeah, if we want this, we have to commit to a group of people that's less than ideal, that isn't perfect, that has problems and issues and just say, I am in this with you. I'm in this with you for the long haul. And it'll look different in different phases of life, but I wanna, I wanna say something I said last year during the vision series. I think it's timely for now as well. Um, some of the feedback I got from this statement was, you know, Evan, that's unrealistic. Uh, and I get it, but Park Hill elders and leaders actually stand by this. So let me call you to prayerfully commit to San Diego and a Park Hill community for the long haul. Like totally, you know, Lord willing, as God provides, as long as he doesn't call you everyone. All the disclaimers, for sure. Um, but seriously, consider doubling your level of commitment for this time, for this transition moment, for this city and this family that God does have you in right now. And so last year I said it, I'll say it again. If, if you were only committed to being here 12 months, consider two years. Or if you're only committed to being here two years, pr prayerfully lean into four years. Or, and and uh, yeah, so after I called the church to this last year, my wife, Sandy, went out for coffee with a young woman from our church she came to San Diego from out of state to do a three-year degree program. And Sandy's like, hey, what's your plan after school? And she's like, well, originally I planned to be here for three years, but now I'm planning like probably six. And Sandy's like, oh, wow, what happened? She's like, uh, God's, God's calling me to double my commitment to San Diego. Like, did you hear like that your husband taught, like did this thing? Um, which is kind of funny, I thought. But uh, that's honestly so shocking. The fact that it actually, ha someone's actually, do it's shocking culture, counter-cultural commitment in a keep your options culture. And it's beautiful to me. Um, there's something about vision-driven rootedness that is central to Jesus's call. I'm convinced this rootedness is going to be part of the new thing that God is doing. It's what the sixth century monk, St. Benedict called stability. And his definition was, uh, this, his definition of stability, the spiritual skill of staying put to get somewhere. Um, so Sandy and I stayed with a couple of, a bunch of monks, Benedictine monks last year. We were supposed to go back in April, um, but uh, they swear to a vow of stability there. It drives their whole life. It frames their whole existence. 
Uh, and I don't think all Christians are called to be monks. That's not my point. I'm not getting crazy right now at all. I just think there's wisdom in this vow. I'm gonna read from them. And we're gonna close with this vow. I think there's wisdom here for all Christians everywhere, especially those of us who are used to keeping our options open and moving with transience like San Diego culture. So here's, here's a version of the vow. Here it is. We vow to remain all our life with our local community. We live together, pray together, work together, relax together. We give up the temptation to move from place to place in search of an ideal situation. Ultimately, there is no escape from oneself and the idea that things could be better someplace else is usually an illusion. And when interpersonal conflicts arise, we have a great incentive to work things out and restore peace. This means learning the practices of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, giving up one's preferences, forgiving. That is what we're going for. Uh, not signing a vow of monk-like fidelity or whatever, uh, but I do think the Spirit wants to move us forward into this as a church, to be preparing our hearts for what it will look like to be a Christian in 2030 and 2050. God is doing something new. I don't want to miss this because of creature comfort or consumer culture. So we've been doing communities for well over two years and our, our leaders have just killed it, done so well. Leaders, wherever you are, just massive kudos. So thankful for you. And especially during this, these last few months, this is not what you or anyone imagined. So well done, great job. And if there's anything we all agree on, it's that like <laughs> the delight of community takes time to cultivate. Um, those, first, those first few weeks are awkward. First few months, maybe. And that's normal. Be patient, give it time. And, and to actually experience transformation into Jesus' image through community, that takes even more time. It takes time to get to know someone from scratch and intentionality. So let's, let's this is the call. Let's make this a non-negotiable rhythm of our life in the spirit. Reach out, connect through the website, join a community, um, call your leader, ask them what the vision is. Just let's lean in, in a moment of apathy. And honestly, we're, we're burning out in so many ways, but let's, let's burn in <laughs> toward one another and lean in in the hard moments because uh, God is good and he has hope to put on display. So that's it, church. We're gonna, we're gonna move toward communion communion, the meal of Jesus. Jake Fisher is going to lead us in eating and drinking. And Clark and Amy are going to sing one more song. Uh, thanks again, guys, for being awesome. And uh, yeah, so let, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want what you want for our families, for ourselves, for our city. We want to see your kingdom come on earth. Your will be done here as it is in heaven, in your throne room, in your divine space, Lord, bring your space into ours. Just take over, we pray. Because when you do, justice is done. When you come, healing happens. 
So if you should wait two more years, if you should wait one more year before physically returning, Lord Jesus, then for this year, would you come through your church to bring healing and salvation in a world in pain? Do it through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.